other states that do automatic voter registration. We see states that do online voter registration. And these are tools that are available to us. And instead of making voting harder, we should make it easier. And we can totally do that. Welcome to MCV Cast. That was Liz Albers, the executive director of the Montana Public Interest Research Group, Montberg. We'll hear more from Liz about the concerning pattern of voter suppression in Montana and across the country in a few moments. I'm Aaron Murphy here with the executive director of Montana Conservation Voters, Whitney Tani, political director Jake Brown, and program director Whitner Chase. Let's begin this week with the lack of funding for Montana's public lands. I have very fond memories of camping with my parents all over Montana and North Dakota. Funds from Initiative 190 will correct funding deficits. On Thursday, MCV joined hunters and other outdoor enthusiasts from across Montana on the steps of the state capitol. We called on lawmakers to reconsider a proposal to divvy up tax revenue from the sale of recreational cannabis. Montana voters overwhelmingly legalized recreational marijuana on Election Day through Initiative 190. That voter-approved plan very clearly directs about 37% of tax revenue to Habitat Montana, the popular state program used to acquire more state-owned public land and improve access to those lands. But the current bill ignores the will of Montana's voters, instead sending 88% of that revenue to Montana's general fund. In other words, our public lands got the short end of the stick. Among the outdoors enthusiasts who joined us to make that point on Thursday, Anne Joliffe, a Montana hunter, taxidermist, and mother of triplets. Joliffe spoke about her family's livelihood on public lands and reminded lawmakers that Initiative 190 passed with overwhelming support last November. The outdoors is an integral part of Montana's past, present, and most importantly, our future. Our government is getting funding from the federal government for other programs. Montanans voted on Initiative 190 to guarantee a future for our state. The future generations of Montana deserve the conservation of land, wildlife, and state parks to enjoy and weave into their stories of the last best place. Conservation funding under the legislature's new marijuana revenue bill is limited to a relatively small and limited amount of funding for non-game wildlife, trails, and state parks, but nothing for public land acquisition and easements through Habitat Montana. MCV, along with other major conservation organizations, supported Initiative 190 last year because of its significant impact on that public land funding. It was never meant to just bring in more revenue for the state's general fund. We'll have more on the work of the Montana legislature in a few moments, but first, America's new Interior Secretary is already hard at work after a historic vote this week for conservation. The yeas are 51, the nays are 40, the nomination is confirmed. And with that, the U.S. Senate confirmed Deb Holland as Interior Secretary on Monday evening. She's the first Indigenous person ever confirmed to a cabinet position. Secretary Holland earned the support of all Democrats who voted, plus four Republicans. Susan Collins of Maine, Lindsey Graham of South Carolina, and both senators from Alaska, Lisa Murkowski and Dan Sullivan. Senator Steve Daines not only opposed Holland, he also tried to block her confirmation. In a speech full of falsehoods on the Senate floor, Danes tried to greenwash his own spotty public lands record before admitting that, for him, sticking up for oil and gas is more important. And just as we cherish our access to our public lands, we also value the conservation of our lands, as well as the stewardship of our vast natural resources. Energy development flourishes in Montana. Unfortunately, Representative Holland 
has a very well-documented and hostile record toward Made in America Energy, toward natural resource development, towards wildlife management and sportsmen. Montana's other U.S. Senator, John Tester, voted for Holland. We at MCV noted she earned support from the left, the right, and the middle. That's because she's overwhelmingly qualified for the enormous challenges ahead of protecting our public lands, our climate, our natural resources, and the countless jobs that rely on them. We honor her historic tenure as the federal government's top liaison to indigenous nations. More than 100 members of Congress this week signed on to a letter in support of 30 by 30. That's the nationwide program to conserve at least 30% of America's land and ocean by the year 2030. No one from the Montana delegation signed on to the letter, which calls for a stakeholder-driven process that focuses on the importance of working with tribes, states, local governments, and private landowners. Three Montana mayors, John Engen of Missoula, Cindy Andrus of Bozeman, and Wilmot Collins of Helena, all support 30 by 30. Montana's new attorney general has signed Montana onto two multi-state lawsuits against the Biden administration. On Wednesday, Austin Knutson and 20 other attorney generals filed a complaint claiming Biden overstepped his authority by halting construction of the controversial Keystone XL pipeline back in January. The lawsuit claims Congress, not the president, regulates foreign and interstate commerce. Last week, Knutson joined another complaint stemming from a different executive order from Biden, one establishing a working group to come up with an accurate social cost of emitting greenhouse gases. Initial estimates of the social cost of producing carbon dioxide is as much as $51 per metric ton. In all, it adds up to about $9.5 trillion through 2020. The Montana legislature is now at the beginning of its second half, and just like the first half, there's a lot to keep score on. Jake Brown and Whitner Chase spend their days at the Montana State Capitol. Guys, what do conservation voters need to know? Murph, let's start with the good news. The Montana House shot down House Bill 418, which failed by a single vote. That would have allowed counties to open up and manage now non-existent or hoax roads on federal lands. Lawmakers introduced this bill at the request of Senator Daines. But we're now watching House Bill 367 from Republican Representative Paul Fielder of Thompson Falls. This bill would ask Montana voters to change the Montana Constitution by adding the right to hunt, fish, and trap wildlife and fish. Fielder claims the bill is meant to prevent wildlife activists from banning hunting, something nobody in Montana is really talking about. But trapping is the rub because of the dangers it poses to pets, livestock, and even humans, not to mention the cruelty. Here's Chester Watson, a Montana hunter and trapper who testified against the bill. The opportunity of the Montanans to harvest wild fish game is already protected. Let's leave it that way. The current bill's language is vague and not legally vetted in any way, shape, or form. If hunting, fishing, and especially trapping are codified constitutional rights, one can legally challenge any law or policy or fee that could affect these rights. The courts, not voters, would repeatedly decide if wildlife management actions are relevant and fees are constitutional. If House Bill 367 passes the legislature, the decision to amend the Montana Constitution will go to voters in November of 2022. 
The right of Montanans to put citizen initiatives on the ballot is also under attack in the legislature. Republican Representative Steve Gunderson of Libby is introducing two bills, House Bill 384 and 385. Together, they would double the number of signatures required to put an initiative on the ballot. Supporters say it's to get more representation from rural parts of the state. But opponents, including MCV, say it's just another attempt to make changing our government more difficult. Gunderson is also pushing a bill that defines e-bikes as non-motorized vehicles, even though they have, well, motors. His House Bill 281 would allow certain types of e-bikes anywhere that bicycles are also able to go. This bill creates management issues for local governments and drives a huge wedge between the biking community and other backcountry trail users. Are you keeping up with all these bill numbers? We are also against Senate Bill 257 from Republican Senator Jason Small of Busby. His bill restricts local governments from enacting carbon fees. The bill is vague and prevents something that no government is even trying to do at the local level. But the language is so broad SB 257 could prevent local governments from regulating even unrelated things that are impacted by carbon emissions, like transportation plans, design standards, and noise limitations. A few weeks ago, we mentioned the Sweeping for the People Act in the U.S. House. The bill would reform the way Americans vote by requiring automatic voter registration across the country, enhancing absentee voting, and ending partisan gerrymandering. This week, several U.S. senators introduced their version of the bill. And no surprise, Congressman Matt Rosendale is not a fan. Here he is on the right-wing radio program, Montana Talks, with Aaron Flint. Talk about why Montana should be so concerned about what Pelosi and the Democrats are pushing here. They want the federal government to control our elections and, and tilt the uh, scales towards the Democratic Party. That's false. Legislation to improve voting access isn't geared toward any political party, and it's only designed to balance the scales, not tilt them. Second, we find it telling that Rosendale believes when more Americans exercise their right to vote, his political party would take the hit. That's right, and this is something that lots of Republican lawmakers are talking about these days. We've covered multiple bills in the Montana legislature designed at putting up hurdles for people who want to vote, from ending same-day voter registration to even refusing to mail ballots to post office boxes. And Montana certainly isn't alone. This week's guest has unique insight into what's behind this concerning national trend. Liz Albers is the executive director of the Montana Public Interest Research Group, or Montperg, based in Missoula. She joined Montperg in the spring of 2020. Liz worked as a field organizer in Haver during Montana's 2016 election in Montana. Liz earned a Juris Doctorate from the University of Maine. And Liz, thanks for spending some time with us here on MCVCast. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Aaron. I'm really excited to talk to you. Yeah, well, we appreciate the work that you do, and we've got a lot to cover today about the future of voting in Montana and America. But but first, tell us a little more about the work of Montperg. What are your priorities and challenges, and how has it changed in the last year that you took over? Sure. So um, to start with our priorities, our number one priority is educating and empowering uh, Montana's next generation of civic leaders. And we do this by giving our volunteers and interns hands-on experience in the field. Um, so, for instance, they're writing letters to the editors on issues they care about. Um, they're making phone calls to voters to remind them to update their voter registration or go vote. 
currently with the legislative session. We're doing comic collection here on campus. And really, these are just the building blocks of organizing. And we work primarily in three areas um, when we do when we uh, train our, our young folks. Um, it's renters' rights, protecting our public lands, and voter registration. You know, we've been doing this for 40 years. 2021 is Montford's 40th anniversary. And we're really proud of our alum. You know, when you, if you spend any time in Montana politics or the Montana nonprofit sphere, you're probably going to run into a Montford alum. And that's because, you know, these skills that we teach these young folks are really transferable to any career they choose or profession they're in. So um, as to the challenges, we're a field-based organization and 2020 um, made, th- made that a little difficult. Um, we were a part of the efforts to get marijuana on the ballot and passed. And part of our efforts included signature collection. And unfortunately, you can't do signature collection on ballot initiatives remotely. So we had to, you know, get out in the field and get those signatures. But we also obviously had to be incredibly careful trying to make sure uh, our organizers were as safe as possible. Lots of hand sanitizer, lots of Lysol wipes, clean pen, dirty pen system. And, you know, we were we were really proud of the fact that we uh, worked or part of the efforts that got those two initiatives on the ballot and ultimately passed and that we did so in a safe manner. As to how it's changed uh, since I took over, I've been in this position um, coming up on a year. And quite frankly, not too much has changed. It always feels like we're, we're, we have a lot going on. Um, like I said, we are working on the marijuana ballot initiatives um, through the summer and fall. And then our voter registration, um, we registered over 5,300 voters for the 2020 election. And so we had a little bit of respite then in December, and then we've just been back at it in the legislative session. So um, we're still very busy, and it's always been busy as long as I've been here. Let's zero in on Montberg's work of empowering young voters. What does that look like in Montana, especially this past year, and how has it changed over the past couple of years? Yeah, so empowering young voters means giving them the tools and information to affect change. We're on campus, and you know we've been around for 40 years, so we're a trusted source on campus. So in the fall, we were registering people to vote, and right now we're engaging with students about the Montana legislature. And then in the fall, we'll be talking to them about municipal elections. So, you know, we're we're this constant presence on campus. Students know us, and that really makes us a trusted uh, source of this information that we provide them on. And when I say that we're talking to students about, um, you know, all of these different areas, what I mean is that it's our volunteers and interns who are the ones leading those discussions. So it's really they're here. They're having these conversations with with their peers. That's the level we're engaging with students at. And as to you know students and the level of engagement, I think you know the level of engagement is consistent. You know, I've always seen students be passionate. Um, you know, I think like any, it can sometimes ebb and flow depending upon elections. So obviously the presidential election, there was a lot of interest there. And I'm hopeful that that is going to, you know, stay on through the 2021 municipal elections in Bozeman and Missoula. Um, I think what makes those elections especially exciting is that their representatives who are within their community, legislators are in Helena, obviously the federal delegation spends a lot of time in D.C. So whereas, you know, the municipal candidates and municipal officials are within their communities and it really just makes government seem that much more close. MCV and um, 
other voting rights organizations, including yours, have been pretty outspoken about some of the bills working their way through the Montana legislature this year. Very specifically, they're focused on making it more difficult to vote. As you speak with lawmakers on either side of the aisle, what is your message to them and and how are you pushing back against these efforts? I mean, our message is simply that they should be making voting as easy as possible. Turnout for the 2020 election, as you know, was unprecedented. And I don't think it's controversial to say that when more people have their voices heard, we're, we're better off for it. In terms of pushing back, so we have our two lobbyists in person testifying in Helena. You know, we went back and forth about how we felt about having people in the building. And at the end, we just decided we had to be there to be having these difficult conversations with legislators. We've also, you know, been empowering students here on campus to have a part or have their say at the legislature. Earlier in the session, we had an event where we taught young folks how to register on the Zoom and then sign up to testify in committees. I mean, the one silver lining perhaps of a hybrid session is that it's more accessible to testify, right? Not everyone can go down to Helena every time there's a committee hearing on a bill that they oppose or support. So, um, you know, the Zoom aspect has made it easier for students to engage. We're also, you know, just really keeping people uh, alert to, you know, different bills as they pass through committees in the House or the Senate. We're also doing, like I said, comment collection here on campus and submitting those to legislators. So far, we've collected uh, 545 comments. And, you know, I think I've talked with legislators, you know, they listen when their constituents reach out to them. They read those comments. They pay attention when students reach out or young folks reach out. So really just, you know, making sure that those in the building know that students are paying attention and we're watching how they vote and we're watching the legislation they're passing. And what, what do those messages say? What, what's, what stands out from younger people? Um, the, basically, there's stories a lot, again, with voter registration. Some of those bills we're going to talk about saying, you know, if this bill passed, I wouldn't have been able to vote. Or, you know, basically, the personal stories, I think, are the ones that stand out uh, when students are talking about also instances with renters' rights in terms of situations that have happened when they've been renting, when we go in against bills that harm the tenant. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, I think it's just, you know, having those personal stories and submitting them to legislators are the ones that kind of stick out. We should be very clear that Montperg, like MCV, is a nonpartisan organization. And that said, we acknowledge the facts and the facts are the Republicans are pushing voter suppression bills, not just in Montana, but across the country. And in fact, the Brennan Center for Justice is tracking at least 253 bills. I think that's low, by the way, Mm -hmm. in 43 state legislatures that restrict voting access. What do you think is the the driving force behind all of these bills? Uh, Simply put, misinformation. You know, I wish it was something more complex or nuanced, but I think it's just uh, misinformation about voter fraud. As we know, voter fraud isn't a thing. It doesn't happen. But it's just this, you know, ghost that lingers. Um especially, you know, throughout every election. And unfortunately, um, the legislative session here in Montana, it's just something we continue to combat. Hmm. Montperg is um, specifically engaged, as you mentioned, in registering college students to vote and making sure that they have good information to exercise their right to vote. Uh, Let's focus on House Bill 176. 
that would end same-day voter registration in Montana, moving it back to the Monday before Election Day. And we've heard the perspective on what it means for Indigenous communities, but what does it mean for college-age voters? Sure. So we know that one in eight Americans moves once a year. I think it's safe to say that students perhaps move a little more. Um, I just know from my personal experience, I remember, uh, I think my senior year of college, I, or the end of my junior year of college, and I moved out of one apartment, moved into a, a, a sublet for the summer, and then moved back into a dorm um, beginning my senior year. So students um, are affected. And, you know, voter registration isn't always at the forefront of their mind. So we have heard stories where students show up to register or to vote, excuse me, on election day and realize that they're registered from their apartment, like, two apartments ago. And so obviously, um, House Bill 176 would stop these individuals from being able to vote. Um, Additionally, we've heard stories where people think they're registered to vote, and then they show up to vote on election day, and the information was entered wrong, or it's just, you know, clerical areas, so by no fault of their own. And that would stop them from voting. Between 2006 and 2018, over 60,000 people utilized same-day voter registration in Montana. We know it's it's working. We know voters like it. In fact, um, LR-126 was on the ballot in 2014 and it got voted down. So really, um, I don't know why we're relitigating this. And I, I definitely feel it would disproportionately affect uh, students and other folks who perhaps always aren't at the same residence every four years or two years. Last year, Judge Jessica Fair here in Billings struck down the so-called Ballot Interference Protection Act, or BIPA. Uh, She said it was unconstitutional to prevent or make it more difficult for third-party volunteers to collect and submit completed ballots for voters. Now, Representative Mark Noland of Big Fork is introducing what we call BIPA Part 2, which is essentially the same thing. Mm -hmm. Where does Montberg stand on on the sequel to this bill and, and why? Yeah, I mean, we're calling it BIPA 2.0 as well. Um, we oppose it. It's unnecessary legislation. Montanans don't, don't need the government telling them who to trust with their ballot. Um, additionally, I'll just add, you know, who is turning over their ballot to someone they don't trust? I'll add, you know, we were just talking about House Bill 176, which the proponents of say it's meant to make uh, voting officials' jobs easier, whereas BIPA or House Bill 406 now you have this record of delivery that creates um, additional hurdles. So for, and it creates additional work for uh, voter, voting officials. So those two juxtapose really don't make a lot of sense if we're trying to make uh, clerks and recorders jobs easier. Um, you know, we did ballot collection in 2020 after um, BIPO was overturned. And we did it here on campus. Like I said, we're a trusted source. So and we had someone approach us and ask, you know, why, why are you doing ballot collection all, you know? For that election, all you needed to do was just put it in the mailbox. And we had a lot of students who didn't know where there was a mailbox on campus or didn't know where the post office is. And that makes sense if you think about, you know, you're paying your bills all online now. So really, it's just, again, making voting easier, making getting your ballot returned easier. Yeah. So the the common talking points we hear from sponsors of anti-voting legislation seem to land in one of two categories, uh, that voters should just be more responsible and vote on time, even if it means going out of your way and day to figure it out yourself, or two, that voting officials are overburdened for a few hours on election night when voters show up to exercise their their rights. What is your response to talking points like that? I think, you know, voting officials' jobs should be made easier, but we can reduce burdens, but not at the expense of the voter. Or we're all for, you know, fair, free elections, and we should invest in them and invest to make the clerks and reporters' jobs easier. 
Um, you know, as to that first point regarding, you know, people being more responsible, as it stands, House Bill 176, they're trying to make it so you have to register to vote the day before. And I think when you start acquiescing to those arguments, you know, it's then going to become, well, why can't you register the Friday before the election? Or why can't you, you know, register two weeks before the election? And I think at the end of the day, you know, we have the technology and the tools to make voting and voter registration easy. We see other states that do automatic voter registration. We see states that do online voter registration. And these are tools that are available to us. And instead of making voting harder, we should make it easier. And we can totally do that. Yeah, well, thanks for the, the work. And um, we appreciate working alongside you. Liz Albers is the executive director of the Montana Public Interest Research Group and the Montperg Leadership Fund. You can find Montperg online at mtpirg.org. Liz Albers, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. The views of our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of MCV, its staff, or its board of directors. On Monday, a judge in Idaho had anti-public lands extremist Eamon Bundy arrested for failing to appear in court. Bundy did show up to the courthouse, but he refused to wear a mask as required. He was supposed to appear on charges of trespassing and resisting arrest after refusing to leave the Idaho state capitol during a protest last August. You may remember police had to awkwardly drag Bundy out of the building. You shouldn't be allowed to exploit a ranching family, hijack an entire community. Let me express my rights. Let me express my rights. You shouldn't be able to steal a refuge. Can I have your name? Threaten violence all in a self-aggrandizing perversion of what you think the Constitution actually means. On our next episode of MCV Cast, we'll hear from Barrett Kaiser, who surprised Eamon Bundy and his fellow lawbreakers by commandeering a press conference during their 2016 standoff at the Malheur Wildlife Refuge in Oregon. That's next time on a special bonus episode of MCV Cast. Speaking of anti-public lands activists, we've shared lots of news on this podcast about William Perry Penley. Penley served as the controversial acting director of the Bureau of Land Management for more than a year and a half without Senate confirmation. We have not yet mentioned the new acting director of the BLM, Nada Culver. Culver is an environmental attorney from Denver who worked for the National Audubon Society and the Wilderness Society. Now that the Senate has confirmed Secretary Holland, we expect a full confirmation process for whomever she and President Biden choose to lead the land management agency. We've got some new public land in Montana to celebrate. The U.S. Forest Service is now managing a 10-acre parcel of land near Glacier National Park thanks to the popular Land and Water Conservation Fund. The land near Pole Bridge, Montana was privately owned. Now it will serve as a public space and as a wildlife corridor for grizzly bears, elk, and wolverines. Forest Ranger Rob Davies tells NBC Montana the project has been in the works for about three years. So if we can take a piece of very important landscape that's on a wild and scenic river that supports really important wildlife species and set that aside for being undeveloped and allowing natural processes to occur, we are, we are holding off from the... Uh, massive development and growth that we're seeing right now in Montana. So I think it's super important for generations ahead. Our friends at the Vital Ground Foundation, a land trust based in Missoula, made the acquisition possible through LWCF. Thank you for asking me to testify. We want to leave you today with some of the testimony from one of MCV's board members, Tracy Stone Manning. 
Tracy is also the Associate Vice President of Public Lands for the National Wildlife Federation, and she recently appeared before the U.S. House Natural Resource Committee on Modernizing Energy Development Laws. There's a link to her full video testimony in our show notes, and you should check it out because she's a boss and gets it right. We'll be back soon. Our public lands provide us natural resources, but also clean water, habitat for fish and wildlife, and abundant recreational opportunities. They're a gift that each generation must caretake and pass along to the future. But they're in trouble. Wildlife is in decline, wildfires and drought are on the rise. We have to restore balance and leave these precious assets better off than we found them. 